Welcome back to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 1, Lazarus Rising. Let's get this show on the road. hear the smile in my voice (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing how excited you are but also we watched this together and i was that excited too i don't even know how to start this episode drew because i just i am so so happy to be where we are right now (laughs) it's just been a lead up to getting to Cass, and now so many more doors are open that's honestly like so true and that's basically what happens in the show. Now that Cass and now that Angels are a part of the story, there are so many more possibilities. Are you as excited as I am <laughs> to do your first recap of season oh, four? I, I am very excited for this recap. You want to count me down? I'm ready to go. I would love to. Three, two, one, go. Dean wakes up in a pine box, digs him out of a grave. He was in hell, but now he's alive and things look messed up and he tries to figure out what's going on. And like there's something following him like a force and it nearly blows up a gas station and causes his ears to bleed. And then he you know, calls Bobby. Bobby doesn't believe it's him. He shows up at Bobby's place. Bobby doesn't believe it's him. He explains to Bobby it's clearly him. Bobby still kind of doubts him a little bit, but things are fine. They go find Sam. Sam, who's hooking up with some random chick. Whoa. And he doesn't believe it's Dean either. Finally, they all believe it's Dean. We're, we're past that. But what raised them from the dead? They go see a psychic. Psychic goes, I'm going to summon the thing that, you know, raised you from the dead. And it burns her eyeballs out. And then they go hunting for whatever it was. And even demons are scared of it. Finally, we figure out that Sam is secretly hunting demons with Ruby in a new body, who was secretly the chick he was air quote with in the hotel room. So Ruby's back and they're kind of a thing, maybe possibly. And then Dean lies to Sam and Sam lies to Dean and Dean and Bobby go after whatever this mysterious force was. And it turns out it's an angel. His name is Kaz and he's super handsome. We love him and he has a badass entrance and time. I loved everything about this. (laughs) It took me a second rewatch to realize the girl from the hotel room was Ruby. You know, it's so interesting because she is, I mean, that's the whole point, right? To make her seem forgettable. That's what Sam is trying to do the whole time. And we'll get there too, because I have thoughts about that, you know, but clearly it worked. I'm really impressed by that. I feel like we have a lot to go over today and let's just get right to the long game because I feel like we've got, like I said, a lot. The very first thing that I want to mention, we meet Cass, you know, (laughs) and I say it again because I really feel like the impact of this particular character, really, like, we can't discuss it enough. And we can't discuss it in passing. So, like, we just need to mention him whenever we can. (laughs) And now through Cass, we also find out about angels and the fact that they do exist. And that's really going to shape a lot of what Supernatural is going to be about in the next 11 seasons. It's such a carpet out from under your feet moment. Because we've had our one encounter with an air quote angel, turns out it was just a benevolent spirit playing what he thought was an angel's role, but was just a ghost convincing people to do things that were, you know, good, air quote, not as, as good as murder can be. You know, it really set the stage that, you know, angels, probably not real. Um, no, never mind. Here's an angel physically in front of you and just rescued you from hell. They're powerful. 
You know, we've discussed this before, but there are interviews out there of Eric Kripke saying that he didn't want to introduce angels too early because he didn't want them to have like a get out of jail free card all the time because, you know, he wanted angels to be like these all powerful beings. And so he thought that it was just too easy for the brothers to have an angel on their side. Like, I can't wait to see how they write around Cass being there, even if it isn't all the time, because I feel like having Cass is like to get a jail free card. They're going to have to play this right. So we'll be intrigued to see when they do or don't do that. You know what? We're going to get the answer to that very quickly in the season. So don't worry. We will find out. Another thing that happens, and you mentioned her in your recap, is that we meet Pam. She's going to be back a couple of times. I really kind of wrote her off this episode. Like, I, I thought she was a cool character. I feel like her introduction was really well done, if not traumatic. You know, we kind of get this, like, badass, like... I feel like kind of the other side of the coin from Bella where she's like badass and confident, but like a good guy air quotes there, you know, like positive, like, you know, she's comfortable in her body. She's sexually positive. She's, you know, ready to, she literally suggests a threesome to the brothers at some point. Like she also gropes Dean, right? So like there's, there's, there's good and bad. There's good and bad. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there's definitely like going too far in some cases. And then they blind her when she sees Cass's true form, and I really thought that was going to kind of be the end of her. Like, OK, like she was just set up to be this fun character for a joke for a bit and then wipe her off. But like, I'm happy if she comes back. We do see her a couple more times throughout the seasons. We meet new Ruby, <laughs> who is portrayed by an actor who is now known as Genevieve Padalecki. And yes, this is how they met. Oh, that's adorable. Very, very sweet. Totally didn't hit me that she was the chick in the hotel room until a second rewatch. Now, just a kind of a last note here. I find that this episode really sets the tone for the rest of the season. And I would also argue that it sets the tone for the rest of the series. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. But this episode, as we'll get into story time, really paints an interesting picture of where they are now, the brothers. Like, yes, Dean just came back from hell. So there'll be some kind of like reconfiguring of how they are with each other. But like the initial as an initial return, if you're saying this sets a scene, it gives me a lot of thoughts as to where the series and season are going to go. We'll get into them later, but I'm very intrigued to discuss that. All right, well, let's head on right over to story time. Let's go. All right. So starting this week, like we explained in our season four pregame, we're going to change the way that we do story time a little bit. So we're going to start by talking about the main choice that each brother is making in this episode that is going to guide the outcome of it. The deal at the crossroads, so to speak. I would like to start with Sam because I have some big thoughts about what's going on with him. I really think that his biggest choice in this episode was to hide like his ongoing association with Ruby, along with his new black smoke demon powers from Dean. Let's try to track that through the episode. There's no argument here. That was definitely the turning point for Sam in this episode and part of why I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I mean, that's lying to Dean on multiple levels so quickly 
I you could maybe argue that it's to protect Dean until they can find a way to, to tell him, which I think he even says to Ruby at some point. But just that's a lot of information to hide from your brother so quickly. He's been gone, what, four months, three months, something like that? Yeah, four months and you've now become a demon wizard master. Let's kind of start with when Dean finds Sam at the motel and that the first person he sees, it's it's not Sam, right? It's Ruby in her underwear. And we don't know that it's Ruby at that point, like you mentioned. And, you know, we've talked about how Sam and Dean know each other's moves, you know, and they don't need to communicate verbally to really know what the other is going to do. It really hit me that in that moment, that's what's happening between Sam and Ruby. She sees Dean and immediately she plays the part of the girlfriend or the one night stand or whatever. And Sam really goes along with it. He even like, quote unquote, forgets her name. He calls her Kathy when she says her name is Christy. Like that was purposeful. Like he was hiding Ruby and what he was doing with her. When you say what he was hiding from Dean, what him and Ruby were doing, there is no reason she answered the door in her underwear other than the fact they were doing more than just training with each other. Training? (laughs) Well, I mean, she's clearly teaching him to use the demon powers, and I'm guessing in that moment in the underwear, that's not what they were training for or doing. I really don't think so. Is there another moment in there that like, or, or like in the episode for you that kind of like brought out that choice? I think it's also just when he does sneak off and leave Dean alone. And when they do eventually communicate with each other, he kind of just, they both lie to each other clearly, but no, he went out for a walk. No, he went out to go try to kill these demons on his own. And yes, it was to test his new powers. And obviously he was meeting Ruby there to look into it. To lie to Dean and just say, like, you know, I went after those demons like I couldn't sleep knowing they were there. So I went after them and took care of them. Yeah, you could fudge the details. But to even lie about that is just how much you're willing to hide from him so soon. Like what happened during those four months that this is now where you are? And let's keep in mind also that Dean still doesn't know about the demon blood that Azazel bled into Sam's mouth. Okay, so if we move from Sam to Dean a little bit, like his biggest choice. I think the issue here with Dean is he is very caught up on this, both out of fear and his need to be sure what happened, but he is very caught up in how this whole thing happened. Like, why is he back? What brought him here? And what does that mean for him going forward? There's a fear in not knowing how or why he's back. And we can feel his need to solve this case and not leave things open or uncertain. I mean, he again, literally, he's been back from the dead for less than 24 hours and he's already lying to his brother because he knows Sam doesn't want to go after this thing and he needs an answer, even if it means risking him and Bobby. Does he lie to him to go to go do the thing? Yeah, I believe he's in the car with Bobby when they like when Dean tells him like, oh, I went out for a walk and Sam's like, yeah, I, I just had to go and get some fresh air, too. They both basically lie to each other about what they're doing. That's a really interesting parallel that they're doing from so early in this season. Hmm. OK, so Sam is off with Ruby in her underwear. I see where you're going with this. <laughs> so for you, I guess, like the choice would be to like pursue like to solve the case, right? Like that's his. Yeah, it's it's to solve the case, but also to lie to Sam and go behind his back to do it because he knows Sam is 
not a hundred percent on board with it given the current danger they're in. He's kind of he's kind of good to leave it as a mystery and just accept the good fate. Whereas Dean can't just have faith in it anymore. He has to see it for himself. I think I I tend to phrase it a tad differently, but that's I I completely agree with you. I mean, for me, it's like his choice is to continue trying to find out who pulled him out of hell. Like he he needs to know. Castiel's identity, basically, like that's his choice. It's to continue pursuing that despite Sam not being on board. I find it really interesting that Sam's choice is about hiding something like to keep Dean in the dark. But now that you're reminding me that Dean is also hiding that from Sam, I don't know how well that holds. But I also feel like Dean's decision here is about bringing something to light, you know, to have the truth come out. And yes, this is a total season 15 dog whistle here but now that i think of it i guess like dean like came out of hell in this episode he came out of the ground he came out of his grave he like was reintroduced to like quote unquote the closest thing he has to a father and to sam for that matter as this like new reborn person and i just like this is really powerful imagery and symbolism when it comes to like coming out narratives for queer people yeah and i mean i know in the episode they kind of explain it away with sam's number being like not the same number or being disconnected or some bull but the fact that he goes to bobby first like there's a level of acceptance and connection to Bobby that he feels that he's still too afraid to show to Sam. Cause I think deep down he knows as much as I don't think Sam would reject him. He knows Bobby would never reject him. That's true. And it's actually with Bobby that he goes to meet Cass. Aww. Dad, I want you to meet my boyfriend. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what's <laughs> happening. Oh my God. Okay. Don't we have to stop shipping? No shipping. <laughs> not shipping if it's true fair enough but like i i agree like there's this want for connection with bobby that that's there with sam but that comes second for some reason so anyway while we're talking about like bringing things to light can we can we talk about castiel's intro because like that was just like so iconic it was just magnificent it was grand it just shows the majesty of what he is, the power he commands. And yet, despite this like horrible storm raging, you know, these they're shooting at him. There's these wards and there's everything under the sun to try to stop him and slow him down. He is just completely unfazed, completely like nothing could nothing could shake this man. And he just walks up to Dean just matter of factly. Hey, I'm an angel. I saved you. How are you? Go sleep, Bobby. We talked about Dean's choice of like bringing things to light. And what happens when Cass enters the barn? The light show begins. So I think that's why to me, like that really resonated. I think that was really great. I also think that it's telling that the first thing that Dean does is stab him through the heart. <laughs> I feel like this is something bad. <laughs> no, it's not that it's bad. It's just that like heart has like a very 
like it's it's got a very romantic connection in supernatural, right? Like it's it's something that we've talked about before. There was a heart in faith that, you know, Dean's heart was failing and it was saved by a gay man. Heart, Madison, Sam, you know, like it hearts mean stuff <laughs> on supernatural. And I just think that it's really interesting that that's the first thing that Dean does when he sees Cass. Like he's amazed by like him and then he stabs him right through the heart and Cass just looks so amused. It's like the only time in the entire interaction where he seems like to show emotion. Like he's so stoic the whole way through and then there's putting Bobby to sleep and knocking him out and then there's like the getting stabbed that he kind of like the littlest bit of emotion comes through and like it's very very small but it's there and I think that is so charming. And you know what? I didn't know if that fit, but I really do think that it fits because Castiel in that moment says a a couple of really iconic lines like that, just that the fans know, right? Like I'm the one who gripped you tight and, and, and raised you from perdition. Like that's iconic, right? Then there's another, another phrase that he says, good things do happen, Dean. You know, like that's another really important one. And I think that this is like another moment where someone is bringing something to light. You know, in this moment, I think that Cass is bringing something to light inside of Dean that he didn't even know needed attention, I think. No, that entire interaction, like it just it feels like and I know, again, to break like story for a second, I know it's written but it feels like those lines were so specifically written to be said by Cast to Dean by someone who really knew what they were saying. You know what? I absolutely agree. It feels like there was like this knowledge of Dean, right? In that moment, like he knew Dean already. We're going to have so much time for so many seasons to just all over Dean and Cast, so... I find these episodes, like these really important milestone episodes, really really challenging because there's so much to talk about and like so many like little nooks and crannies to get into and we have to make choices we can't talk about everything so moving forward with that in mind now that we've talked a little bit about the main choice that the brothers are facing in this episode and that they're making like do you have an idea of what the theme of the episode would be for you for me it's knowledge The brothers are both hiding information from each other, and while Sam is more tangible in the secret demon double life, Dean's is the fact that he's scared and worried and needs answers. And we see this in him again, go back all the lying. I mean, they're keeping knowledge from each other and choosing who to share knowledge with. Like, this isn't, you know, Dean being scared, I have to do this alone. This is Dean being scared, saying, I can't show this to Sam, but I can trust Bobby with this. It's it's looking out for knowledge. And for Sam, it's the fact that he is hiding more than he knows, not that it's anything that, you know, Dean knows he knows, but it's the fact that he has this four months of history with Ruby and using these powers and attaining more knowledge that he's choosing to hide. So it's it's kind of a like the danger of knowledge, either having it and holding it or seeking it. I like used a similar jumping off point. I saw it more as like control, but not like control in the sense of like 
you know, being controlling or controlling other people, but more like having control and ownership over like your own life and your own narrative and like what you choose to do with it. Because like I mentioned earlier, like Sam makes some really big choices in this episode that have to do with concealment. So he conceals a lot of things. He and, and concealing not only his behavior, but a part of himself and a part of his life. Whereas in Dean's case, his choices are more about showing himself, like showing up alive to Bobby and to Sam and bringing like his savior to light. Like Dean's narrative, I think, is one of like coming out in this moment. Anyway, so I think that it's how the boys are choosing to kind of like present themselves to the world and to others in that moment. You know what? I, I can see both angles, the knowledge or the control, because you're right. It's a lot about controlling the narrative, controlling your fate in that moment, controlling who does or doesn't know things. They kind of do work hand in hand. Oh, for sure. One hundred percent. I think that like that's the really interesting thing is that we we both picked something that works really well together. It's a, a way of controlling the knowledge that other people have of you also. Right. So I think that works. All right. So now that we've used the crossroads to kind of like identify and discuss a theme, is there anywhere in the episode where that theme shows up that we haven't really discussed? If I can just, I, I brought it up earlier and I seem to go back to it. It's the entire interaction of Dean showing up to Bobby is just some of the most beautiful, like cinema. Like it's just, it, it's perfect in every way. It is just, it, it's so Dean. It's so Bobby. It's so heartfelt and emotional and devastating in all the right ways, but you never stop smiling throughout the entire thing. Like it is such a, like it had the same energy as those clips of soldiers returning from war and seeing their dogs. Oh, <laughs> like it's just, it's heartwarmingly adorable. <laughs> like it's a really hard example of comparison to make, but you know what I mean? You know, I can't imagine how I would feel if I was in Bobby's shoes. I, I think that I would probably be just as cautious. Yeah, I mean, understandably, like this, Bobby has seen things. He knows what to expect. Trickery is not, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised he has all these things by the door for when someone does show up that he's ready to, like, test them. So that he can feel in control and he uses knowledge in order to protect himself, right? Like, And just take control of the situation. Yeah, exactly. There's one thing that we haven't really talked about. And it's like, it's Pam, actually, in this episode. Like, how does she fit into these themes? I feel like she fits both so well because she's so in control of herself in that she is comfortable in her body and very, you know, like... Sex positive and yes, does take it too far in the groping Dean, which again, I think is a problem of the era, though it is still problematic now, but it is a level of being in control. It's one thing to be an attractive woman who knows she's attractive. It's another thing to turn it around and use it as power. So she's taking control of it because she has the knowledge. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, I feel like this portrayal kind of comes back to all of the discussions that we have about sex positive uh, women on Supernatural, where it's like, are they being sex positive and are they trying to like flip a trope on its head 
or are they trying to talk about women and their feminine wiles? And the issue is that I never know the answer to that because I just don't always trust the creators with with female characters. So that's kind of my hesitation to go all in when it comes to Pam, uh, because I do think that the way, like how aggressive she is with the boys is like, you know, it would be nice to kind of like meet a female character who isn't like either a virgin, like in Justin Bellow, or like uh, somebody who uses sex in order to to get places like Bella or, or Pam. So I, that's kind of like my issue with the show in general. And that unfortunately reflects on how I feel about Pam. But in general, Pam is such a cool character that like, I, I have trouble staying mad. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. I think this is where we have to ride that fine line between critical and story, because I think on a critical level, you're right. This is just men writing women the way they want to write women, because that's how they see women. And that is incredibly problematic. And, something we've seen up to this point of the show nonstop. But I feel like if we compare her to other women we've had on the show, and I think our best similarity is to Bella, whereas Bella felt that she was sort of, as you described, using the feminine wiles to get what she wants. This is just someone who goes, I know what I want. And if I want it, I'll take it, which is a very masculine writing style for this age, unfortunately which is why it feels so jarring. So I'm choosing when it comes to characters to really go on the 100% story side of things. And to me, that is her using her power and taking control versus what was likely a writer room of men going, oh, hot girl likes sex. Your eloquence is taking words out of my mouth, actually, <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> I could not have explained it better. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want to add anything? No, I think that covers everything for story time this week. I'm ready to hop into critical time if you are. Yes, I am. Let's go. So I feel like I know who wrote this episode, given that it's a season premiere, but I'm still going to ask who our writer and director were. So our director was Kim Manners and our writer was Eric Kripke because it's a, it's a season premiere. Uh, and we see all of the things that we usually see in Kripke episodes. So all of my issues are right in there. <laughs> Although I will say, and I know I've criticized Kripke before for kind of having a trying to fit too many things into a single episode. That wasn't nearly as bad this time. Like, I feel like. I feel like there may have been a bit more filler this time than most Kripke episodes. Again, like we're moving a lot in this episode, right? There's a lot of movement. It starts off with Dean being in one place, then he's in another. Then he goes to see Bobby and then they go pick up Sam and then they go to a motel and then they're there and then they go to the barn and then Sam goes somewhere else. Like it, it feels, again, it feels like there's a lot going on. And I know that it... I don't know. I feel like this episode tries to cram in a lot and it starts really slow. And so near the middle and the end, it just gets like packed with a bunch of stuff. See, I mean, like, I'm not going to disagree. There is a lot in this episode, but I feel like compared to past Kripke episodes, it didn't feel nearly as rushed. Certainly. Would you like to delight us with your lore segment? I would love to. Thunder crashes, and lightning fills the sky with that familiar, clean smell of ozone as you continue to run. 
A brief flash of light illuminates the alley, giving you less than a second to see where best to turn next. The footsteps continue behind you, and they don't sound any more hurried than when they first started towards you. It's as if it has never gotten any farther than when it began. Despite the chest-pounding pain you are in from running and climbing through the city streets and back alleys. Lightning again, but this time the sudden visibility brings no peace as you find yourself cornered. Clearly you have trapped yourself, like a rat at the wrong path in a maze. Whatever has been stalking you is still right behind you. You stand completely motionless. You're back to the openness behind you. You're back to the slow, methodical footsteps coming down the alley. You're back to the sound of something rustling in the wind. It gets closer and closer until suddenly the sound all stops. All sound has stopped. Your eyes are closed tightly. Why you do this, you are unsure, but you are completely still. The world is still. You feel something come to rest on your shoulder. You can't turn to look at it. And you aren't sure if whatever it is is stopping you from turning or if it's your own body so paralyzed with fear. And a quiet voice whispers into your ear in a most delicate, almost musical tone. Turn, look unto me, and be not afraid. As we see in this episode, Cass, while an angel, is easily mistaken for a supernatural force or even a demon based on a few interactions he has with people prior to occupying his chosen human form. Many legends and tales tell us that demons are fallen angels. Look at the story of Lucifer, for example, the most classic of the fallen angel stories. I think it's important to remember that the unknown can be very scary, even when it's something we later learn may be just completely misunderstood. Whatever may pursue you, be it a messenger of God or a servant from hell, it's easy to be afraid of what we don't know or don't understand. I love this for so many reasons. It's so interesting that like you kind of went in some directions that I wasn't expecting. And like we're going to get some answers in terms of lore and what demons are, what angels are. Anyway, it'll be it'll be. Oh, <laughs> I, I have no doubt that the show is eventually going to tackle the origins of angels and demons and where they do or don't relate to each other. I feel like that's a trope of many mediums that do cover angels and demons but it does have root i mean like i said the story of lucifer from every retelling in every religion to every modern take of lucifer is a fallen angel an angel who has fallen from god's grace whether by choice or by action and is now living in hell ruling hell a guardian of hell a messenger for hell the stories all vary and change but i mean it's unquestionable that one Angels, as we discussed in a previous episode, when we first discussed angels, can be very horrifying to look upon, as Pam learned in this episode. But given the relation to demons, there might be something there. According to the show lore, we know how demons are created, right? They were once humans who have been to hell and tortured into demonness. See, which to me raises questions I don't know if we'll get answers to, but then who was the first demon? Who tortured them? What tortured them? Ooh, we do. We get answers to <gasps> that. We get answers to oh, that. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Yeah, we do. And actually, if we're going to be talking about like how this episode goes, you know, like reaches for other episodes, I have a little commentary about this. Ooh, perfect segue. I love this. Go ahead, please. 
So I have a little bit of meta, which I guess is what the fandom would call it, but I would tend to call that analysis or exploration. And a bit more specifically, I'd like to talk about all of the episodes that this episode calls back to, because there's a lot of things that we've already talked about in, in story time. And I just wanted to kind of like formalize that a little bit. So the, the first episode uh, that kind of comes to mind is Shadow from season one because of the, the, the discussion that we had about Sam hiding things and bringing things to light on the side of Dean. You know, like we had this conversation or a very similar one when we were talking about Shadow and the theme of Shadow, which was a, a, lot, a lot about, well, Shadow and Light. It was also the Deva episode, which I think was the first time that Sam and Dean actually had to face a demon knowingly. Oh. Right? Right. Because he had met Meg, but he didn't know that she was a demon. So this was the first time that they had to face a demon for real, for real. And the second episode that comes to my mind, obviously, we've, you've referred to this before, is Houses of the Holy in season two, where uh, this is the first time that we bring up the possibility of angels existing. And, you know, we, we in that episode, it's kind of like put to bed as like, nah, probably not, you know. But there's this really interesting question about faith in that episode and like, which brother has faith in what exactly? Faith comes up in this episode too. Castiel tells Dean, this is your problem, Dean. You have no faith. <laughs> Which, you know, as we've discussed before, is a premise that now I disagree with, but I also understand why it's being said that way. And of course, if we're going to be talking about faith... I'm going to be thinking about my favorite episode, which is Faith in season one. And that one brings up the possibility of miracles and Lila, you know, the angel who watches over a single soul, single soul from birth to death. <laughs> yeah, just saying, saying that this is this is a thing. And the heart, you know, we discuss the heart. Overall, a really good episode in the way that it connects to so many things. And I'm glad you brought some of these to light because, yes, we dabbled in a few of them, but it really... It's amazing how many ties there were to this. But this is the magic of these episodes. And again, I am convinced that this was not on, done on purpose. I'm sorry. I know that there are a lot of people who think that this was done on purpose. And like, that's fine. Totally fine. But I don't believe so. Right? Like, I really don't. But to see it all mesh together so well, that's magic. I love that. It's beautiful. On that note, shall we see what our community has to share with us for our first time in season four? Let's go. This week, we have a voicemail from Charlotte. Hey, Drew and Mary. This is Charlotte. I've been greatly enjoying your podcast. And as we're talking about it, and as Supernatural starts to go very heavily into the Christian lore, as someone who identifies as Christian is a pastor's kid and regularly studies how Christian themes are adapted into Western literature. I'd like to point out that Christianity as a religion is built on the concept of martyrdom. In the Christian faith, the most noble thing you can do is sacrifice yourself. And with Sam and Deed's attitudes 
towards both their own lives and how they should give them for others, especially something that seems to have been enforced by John throughout their lives as both giving both them that hero complex and that savior complex of we're supposed to save everyone even at the expense of ourselves. It sort of leans into those themes of martyrdom, especially considering when you look at Supernatural and all the religious figures it brings up, one very big thing when you meet everyone else, one very big person who's noticeably absent is the Christ, the is Jesus Christ, the ultimate martyr. And so the God we kind of understand from people we meet feels much more like an Old Testament God to me of much more wrathful, lacking the forgiveness that characterizes the New Testament. The idea of being tainted, both the boys really carry, without the forgiveness that comes with later parts of the Bible, is something that's very heavily in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the only way to seek forgiveness is sacrifice. So as the boys continue to be martyrs and also as more Christian themes and ideas and mythology kind of start getting interpreted in the show, it's something to keep an eye on how the more angelic and godly figures react to that idea of self-sacrifice and how much them sacrificing themselves seems to please the more demonic figures. And what that may be trying to tell us. Once again, Drew Marie, it's been great listening to you and hearing everything broken down in as much in a much more critical way as someone who's studying anthropology and looks at some of the monsters and goes, that ain't right. But also as someone who also studies literature and goes, ooh, look at all the story and character development. It's been great listening to you. Uh, bye. I am not well-versed in religious texts. I feel like I have a pretty base level understanding, like enough to say that when Charlotte talks about the New Testament versus the Old Testament, I understand very lightly what that means, mostly in that, if I'm not mistaken, the Old Testament tends to be a little more of a vengeful God, a little more of an angry and wrathful God versus the New Testament where we kind of get into the the Jesus part of the story, which Judaism doesn't really cover. And there is a bit more understanding, forgiveness and acceptance. I, I don't know how accurate that is or if there's any kind of crossovers in those. But given what, Charlotte, you've said and the idea that this is a little more Old Testament, I am very intrigued to see how that will paint other holy figures we meet, whether they be other angels or if the show does decide to give us God somehow. At this point, I'm convinced we'll get God at some point, but I'm curious to see how they do that. It's a very interesting point. And then to go to the other major point you brought up, which is the idea of martyrdom. Yeah, these brothers are trying to sacrifice themselves left, right and center, both in the I'll risk my life to try to save people to the outright. I will take my life to save people. Given this episode and how there seems to be this chosen one side to both of them. I mean, you don't just save Dean from hell if there's not some reason he needs to be there and have faith. And Sam doesn't get to become magical demon wizard without having some sort of bigger plan. 
I'll be very intrigued to see where this sacrificial, you know, chosen one complex leads them both down the road. So thank you for bringing that up and thank you for pointing it out and making those connections for us. And to finally, one last thing I need to just bring up is right at the end of your voicemail. Yes, more lore, more stories. And what are they doing with some of these monsters? I do not understand, but I love it. What a voicemail to kick off season four with. I mean, like you said, we're both kind of coming from like non-religious backgrounds. And with where season four and the rest of the series is headed, we're very aware that there are some things that we are going to miss completely. And so we're going to be relying on our listeners to kind of bring that to us, right? To bring that perspective to us, which we're both lacking. I'm also aware that there are a lot of people who are listening who have religious trauma, particularly from Christianity. And so I I know that this show talks about that to a certain degree. And so we're going to need to to be reminded of that perspective and to really actively bring it in, into the podcast. So thank you, Charlotte, for kind of doing that first step for us. We really appreciate it. I love that you bring up that the one figure who isn't there is Christ, the forgiving figure. So like you said, how do you earn forgiveness for when you feel like you've done wrong, when you feel like you're tainted, when you feel like something is wrong through martyrdom, through sacrifice. And I think that we've seen both of those boys do that already. And it's, it's just going to get worse. So literally that is how they seek forgiveness throughout the series. When they feel like they've done something wrong to atone for it, they sacrifice themselves or a part of themselves in order to kind of like make good on what they've done. So thank you very much, Charlotte, for bringing this to our attention and for kind of like guiding our eye towards that, towards martyrdom. So thank you so very much for that. Thank you. It was so lovely to hear from you. Now, shall we wrap up this episode and see what reflections and calls to actions we can bring to the table? I think this episode really focuses on something very obvious. And in my lore segment, I kind of touched on it very, very bluntly. And that is the fear of the unknown. We can't know everything. And sometimes jumping in blindly can lead to a lot of danger, like some certain psychics in this episode learned about. And while a risk can be rewarded, there is no sense in taking such a huge risk without weighing your options and thinking things through. You know, it's one thing to take a small risk and lose nothing but gain nothing. It's another thing to risk your life and everything you are and your morals for a very small or unlikely gain when the risks are so, so deep and dark. So my call to action is to remember that, you know, it's one thing to take a risk. It's another thing to take a risk stupidly. That's so interesting because that's exactly where my reflection goes. I'm taking a different road to it, but I'm getting to the same action. (laughs) So... I'm kind of taking the path of like the brothers are trying are actively kind of like trying to either hide something from the other or to bring something to light. So I know that I've said that a lot of the time in this episode, it's Sam who's trying to hide and Dean who's trying to shine. And I'm using those words very purposely because, you know, we talk about 
Sam feeling like a freak, like an outcast, feeling different, feeling tainted by the demon blood that, you know, he didn't have any control over. So that again, to me, like is a very powerful imagery and symbolism for queer folks when you, you haven't accepted your own queerness, especially when people around you consider it to be wrong. And so I, I know that, you know, um, we had some beef with Sam in this episode, but I also have a lot of empathy for him in that moment because I know what that's like. And I think that a lot of us do. And so, yeah, there are moments where you need to shine, you need to come out and show yourself. And then there are moments where all you want is to hide and to kind of like know when the right time for one is and when the right time for the other one is. So, and that has a lot to do with safety, I think. Emotional maturity and safety. There you go. My call to action in this particular case would be to always weigh which option is the safest for you. I like that we got to this at the same time in different ways. But yeah, it is it is important. I mean, to even just look at this episode, we I, in my example, I say the biggest risk was meeting Cass and... For Dean, it paid off, but I mean, it realistically shouldn't have. This is TV land, you know. Everyone else who's met Cass has suffered horribly, and Dean got very lucky this time. I still think that Cass looked at Pam and was like, you're looking for too long at my boyfriend. I will burn your eyes out. <laughs> but moving <Yes>. forward... <laughs> You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Schulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle, for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Charlotte for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. It really does help. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carrying wayward. Carry on our wayward friends. Just a, a, smidge, a smeagol. A smidgen of evil. A smeagol. A smeagol. A smeagol of evil. <laughs> oh, smeagol. A smeagol.